0: I post Barber Motorsports Park, Moto America, kind of a thing with the Greg's Garage pod with coach Jason Pridmore. You got to ask yourself, why does Jason get his first and last name? And I only get my first name, but what are you going to do? But this whole podcast is presented by Bike911.com. Alex Asante, Bike911, you need some things in the, Just go check it out. It's a website, all right? So you get on your phone and you do the thing and after you listen to the podcast. Hi, Jason Pridmore. How's, how's home?
1: Greg, yeah. Greg White is his last name. And I have no problem with you calling it Greg White's
0: whatever podcast with Jason. You could do that. No flow. You could do no it. Flow. It's okay. No.
1: I got no problem no. with it.
0: I know you don't because yeah. you don't care. You're not an egomaniac. Well. So I don't really... No. It's not right. happening. All right. How? All right. Do we need to... We got a lot to talk about. So why don't we to just skip about. over the pleasantries today. All right. You're back home. Everything's fine. Got home. I'm, yeah yeah i rode a, i rode a
1: couple sessions monday
0: oh that's good did kolb actually get on the bike kolb actually got on the bike it
1: looked cloudy so it looked threatening so i think he was questioning it you know like it could rain so maybe the possibilities of going out were you know a little shy no actually he rode really well and sport no, bike, he came listen, the he guys, came up yeah. to me
0: sunday jay and he's yeah. like look 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 there's a 50 percent chance of rain or 40 percent <sighs> chance of rain It's going to be miserable i'm like kolb you're from california Okay. He's one of a kind. What he? they do in the South in the summertime is they just go 50% chance of rain all the time because you never know when something's going to pop up and it just covers their ass. It's just easier
1: for them to do that.
0: So That's it. Yeah. Unless it says like 80%, you're kind of like, even at 80%, you're like, eh, whatever. It may rain here. It may rain in turn six and not rain in the paddock. That's it's right. It's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly that's right. No,
1: I, everybody had a great day. We, uh, we rode sport bike track time. These guys, uh, they ran a great track day for everybody to enjoy. A lot of a lot of fans were still there that stayed for the weekend and then rode, so uh, they had fun. And there was a lot of guys riding that were racing on the weekend. A lot of uh, big name guys, you know, Gagne, Peterson, Hayes, um, Hayden. They were all riding on Monday. So, yeah,
0: cool. Yeah, it was good. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about that when we get into our Motor America stuff. Yeah, we'll get into the Motor America stuff a little bit later on, and uh, but that's you know. That's really what we're talking about in terms of racing was Moto America and what happened. Obviously, we're in between Supercross and Motocross and no Moto GP, no World Superbike. So that means that it's time for us to get into our news presented by AraI. Oh. Hey Jason Pridmore, did you know that Arai Helmets makes helmets that protect your head? Yeah, they're top-notch too. And uh and they look good and they have like really nice ventilation and uh there's a website that you can go to called ariamericas.com and you can look up like paint jobs and fit and finish and they talk about glancing off and all kinds of neat stuff so go to ariamericas.com tell them jason Pridmore sent you mm. no don't do that he's actually sponsored by somebody else okay hey, okay yeah a different brand but a does a great job in helping us with this so yeah i got no problem. yeah they're, no they're amazing they're yeah. amazing all right so as we do this news presented by R.I., I would like to welcome in World Superbike commentator Steve English back on the podcast after seven months of trying to get him locked down between my schedule and Jason's schedule and Jason's golf and Jason's travel and Jason's inability to come up with the time. Steve, welcome back.
2: <laughs> yeah, J- JP's inability to commit. It's been a constant problem for a lot of people over the years, and it was my problem the last mm-hmm. couple of months to try and get back on with this.
0: That's Commitment right. issues, Jason. Always. That's, that's Story the of my life, man yeah yeah all right, Steve. One of the biggest reasons we have you here other than we enjoy you know chit chatting with you, and I'm sure that you just came off the golf course, uh being that you're sitting at home right now, massive news, top rack Ra got made the everybody made the announcement that top rack is going from Yamaha, as Jason would say, from Yamaha to BMW for what? the next two seasons, I think. Steve, what the hell is going on over there?
2: Well, to be honest, it's a move that from the outside has taken everyone by surprise. But inside the paddock for the last couple of rounds, we've heard a lot about it. And personally, for me, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Yamaha didn't trust Top Rack enough with the MotoGP test. They didn't make him comfortable on the bike. They didn't make the allowances that he wanted. And he looked at it and said, do you know what? If I'm not getting backed by Yamaha, I'll go somewhere else. And I'll go to wherever... I think can, can work. And the BMW is not a bad bike. And Toprak will think, do you know what? I can get paid here. If I win on this bike, I'm an absolute superstar. And I'll show Yamaha what I can do. And I think a lot of it came down to he felt a bit disrespected. And that was the exact same reason why he left Kawasaki as well. So for Toprak, the Suzuka experience, and everyone looks at the Suzuka race and not ra- not racing there and sitting out on the on the race day. It all stemmed to his first test with the team, where he went in and, by all accounts, Provec were very focused on Johnny, as you'd expect. Johnny Ray's a well, six-time world champion. Now, at the time, it was probably four world championships. And they saw him as their team leader. Haslam was there as the multiple Suzuka winner. And Toprak was the young gun. And at that stage, Toprak probably deserved that status. He still hadn't won in World Superbikes, but he was starting to become the rider that we know he is now. And when he was disrespected that time, he didn't think anything of ending a five, six-year tenure with Kawasaki. So for him now with Yamaha, it's the same story. He's looked at it and said, you know what, I'm backing myself. I'm going to get paid for it because the money on offer from BMW must have been huge. But uh, for Toprak, I think he wants to make sure he can go out there and show he can win on another bike. Everyone said that he'd struggle on the Yamaha. And now we're all saying, oh, it's going to be tough on the BMW. but. Toprak's a generational talent, so he can probably surprise a few people.
1: You know, Steve, I think the funniest part about this whole thing to me is the people that are the detractors, and you're always going to get the negative guys saying, oh, this is the dumbest move ever, and now he's – I love the ones that, oh, he's never going to go to MotoGP now. Well, his option for MotoGP, that just wasn't that great anyways. Maybe he rode that MotoGP bike. He could understand what Quadraro and Morbidelli have been going through. What reason would he want to go get on a a Yamaha right now anyways – it's not like he's going to go get on a Ducati anytime soon. And KTM looks like they're pretty done up. Who would want to get on a Honda? The thing is, and I'm talking MotoGP. The problem is that there was really no, no really great package for him to go to a MotoGP. And I don't know why people think that he should be, should go to a lesser than than great team in MotoGP just because he's coming from World Superbike. He's probably getting paid pretty, like you say, MotoGP type money almost to ride on the BMW. I think the BMW's got a lot of um, a lot of upside. We haven't seen it a lot this year, um, but I think that it shows BMW's commitment too. Also, the only way he could do this was to do a two-year deal. So we know that BMW is is by far committed to this. Really, what other options did he have? The Yamaha doesn't look like it's improving next year, does it? Like it's not getting any better. The World Superbike isn't getting any better, and it's he already knows what he's up against against Batista. The BMW, to me. Or the Honda, as you and I have discussed off podcasts before, would have seemed like a pretty good option because it's got the speed as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because if you look at the BMW package, Bovea jumped back onto that bike for this year, going back to America. And everyone said at the time, that's not the bike to jump onto. He wins his first race on it. He's been competitive in the first two rounds. The bike as an overall package can actually be quite good. I think that the big thing for BMW and more says Superbikes, is they've done a better job than Honda over the last few years. Since HRC came back as a full entrant, BMW's won races, they've had pole positions, they've had a lot of podiums, when Honda hasn't had those things. So for toprack I think he could view it that he could be that missing piece. Now, the rider can make a good big chunk of the difference, but he needs the team around him as well, and I think that's one thing that we've seen a lot in Superbikes over the last few years. Ray was successful because he had Parariba, he had the same group of mechanics, electronics engineers, everything like that all the way through. So he had good continuity with top guys. Bautista has a good team around him. He's got his crew chief that he's been with for 15 years. So he's got a lot of respect for Julio. So he's got a good crew around him. And Toprak, you can definitely see with Toprak that it's certainly win or bust. He's only interested in winning. doesn't care if he finishes second. That's why going to MotoGP wasn't that interesting for him in the past because he didn't want to be celebrating a top six finish. And I think that for him, that mentality, it comes from Keenan. Keenan was one of those riders that never had a podium bonus. He only had win bonuses in his contract. So for Top Rack, I think you could probably understand if he was thinking, let's let's move on from Yamaha because if I can't beat Alvaro at the minute, what chance do I have if the bike doesn't develop, if we don't improve? I might as well try something new. And BMW, it's, it was an option on the table for Ray as well in the past, and he was interested by it. So BMW, they talk a good game, but now it's up to them to really prove what they can do. And that'll come down to who Toprak works with. If Phil Marin moves across, he'd certainly have a lot of confidence in Toprak and him working well together. They've already done it on two different bikes. But if Phil doesn't move and Toprak needs to find someone else, he then has to build that relationship again as well. So that's a challenge.
1: A lot of questions for me, Greg, if, and, and obviously jump in any minute. But I think that when you look at this, the move when he went from Kawasaki to Yamaha, the reason that the eight hour, and I'm glad you brought it all up, was he hadn't proven himself. And he'd been a bit of a crasher, honestly. And I think that with the eight hour, they had a guy in Haslam who does a lot of the donkey work testing for Kawasaki um, all the way up until this last year. Now he's on BMW, obviously. So he was always at Suzuka testing, testing, testing. You bring Johnny in, he's a proven commodity, as you said. When he went to Yamaha, I think that the we knew that the bike had potential this case is really interesting to me because BMW kind of already backed the track up the truck up for Redding and Redding has just had a shocker of a season. And I mean, he's like not finished out of the, he's not finished in the points at some races. He's literally pulled himself off track during the middle of races saying, I, there's nothing else I can do. Uh, like he did it, I believe at Catalonia, this last, uh, one of the last second race. um, What's going on with Redding? Like, is there a move? If if they get rid of him, where, do, where does Redding go? And do you think it's more of a team continuity thing there? Is it a crew chief thing there? What Like with Redding, what's going on?
2: I think it's, I'd love to say, well, I'd say Scott's manager would love for me to say it's the million dollar question where Scott ends up. But no one's paying him that sort of money. And at BMW, yep. he's on half a million a year. It's a great contract. But up until Imola, there's an option for him to remain for next year. So at the Imola weekend, if things aren't turned around, you can definitely understand why BMW would say, nah, we'll go. We'll we'll probably look to keep Van de Mark because we know Van de Mark works well with Toprak. We know that they're good mates. Whenever they were teammates, we know that they were able to be very effective together at Yamaha. So for those two riders, they'd be happy to work together. Van de Mark, by all accounts, everything I had heard up until Assen, whenever he broke his leg, was It was almost a done deal to stay with BMW for next year. I think Van de Mark and Toprak would work really well together. Toprak and Scott, would they work well together? They've had so many clashes on track where Scott's called out Toprak for being dangerous and reckless and this, that, and the other. So would they work well together? I don't think Toprak would care. But Scott, on the other hand, he might be a a little bit more trouble than he's worth in terms of they've hired Toprak to be that world champion or at least the guy that can challenge for race wins move the program forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put their eggs in the top rack basket. And that means keeping Mark on as well. And also Mikey's been the top BMW rider when he's been fit this year. So the first two rounds, he was pretty impressive. And then obviously Assam was, was a tough weekend for him. And then it finished with a big crash. But I think for me all the way through the winter, he was the one that was driving that team forward. And I think that counts for an awful lot. It's actually what happens at the Bonovo team that could be quite interesting because you'd certainly think that Gerloff's going to stay on for a second year. But Loris Baz, last year, whenever the team signed Baz, the big talk was Bradley Ray was being linked with that seat, was offered the seat, and then didn't take it. So maybe that means that the team are going to look for something different on or BMW will look for something different on that second seat within Bonovo. So BMW, the second you put top rack on the bike, you give everyone else hope that the BMW package can win, can be strong. So suddenly that Bonovo seat might become a little bit more appealing to riders that it wasn't appealing to in the past.
1: Well, definitely shows a commitment. And when you look at what the second Yamaha team has done in proving that they can put competitive machinery underneath their riders, I think that's a great sign that maybe BMW is trying to do the exact same thing. And you, you know, uh, I think moving forward, you talk about now the Rinaldi situation um, alongside Batista. We're hearing a lot of kind of stuff there as well. Bassani didn't do himself any favors by knocking him over, um, which I think is really, interesting in itself because those two guys are battling hard with each other. Not unlike what we saw Bastianini and Martín doing before Bastianini got hired on with the factory Ducati. But is the door absolutely closed for Bassani in that second seat if they decided to replace Rinaldi?
2: I don't think it's definitely closed, but I think it's closing because the thing with it is mm-hmm. they know that Rinaldi's not going to upset the apple cart with Bautista. Alvaro's Alvaro's the goose with the golden eggs. You want to keep him as happy as possible. So why would you try and bring in a rider like Bassani that actually has ambitions to being that top guy? Rinaldi knows where he stands. He's been loyal to the team and to the manufacturer over the years. So I would put him as your favorite for that second seat. But the big rumor that we're, that we're hearing is DiGi Antonio to come across. Because obviously his time in GP, other than the pole at Mugello, it's been a really tough run for him. It looks like Tony Arbellino obviously is riding really well in Moto2 he's been linked with the Grissini seat. So if Arbolino goes there, suddenly Digi is on the outside looking into MotoGP. But certainly for a manufacturer like Ducati, if you can get a 20, Fabio must be 24, so a 24, 25-year-old Italian to put onto that bike, learn for a year behind Bautista, and then if Alvaro retires in 12 months' time, you've then got your ready-made replacement. Digi is a talented rider that's had wins in Moto3 and Moto2. I think he said. The best part of 20 Grand Prix podiums. So he's got a CV that a lot of other riders, your Locatelli's, Agatha, whoever you want to look at, that's come across from the Grand Prix paddock, they can't really match that. So, Digia, at the right age and a big profile, could be the rider that, for me, Ducati would probably be wisest to look at because they need to think, like Yamaha has, has to think now, they need to think who's going to be our next world champion on this bike. Because for the last couple of years, it's been Ray. Razgadioglu, Bautista, and then obviously Scott Redding for a couple of years before that when he was on the Ducati. But you need to have that next rider in line. Otherwise, it's it's a house of cards that just falls apart. And that's the challenge Yamaha face right now because they lose the most talented rider in the paddock. How do they replace him? Ducati can't afford to make the same mistake as well.
1: Mm. I think when you start talking about MotoGP riders moving over, what other ones are you hearing potentially move over to World Superbike? I mean, obviously, Morbidelli's already in the Yamaha fold. Um, I don't know if that is a, I, you know, you can't compare a top rack and Morbidelli right now, especially Superbike to Superbike. We just haven't seen Morbidelli on one. So we don't know uh, what that transition would be like for somebody like him. I mean, are there other guys other than than Digi Antonio that, um, that you could potentially see making the move?
2: I think one of the biggest challenges you have for someone like Morbidelli is people are asking how hungry he would be to go to Superbikes. We've seen it where riders have gone to Superbikes, and it just hasn't worked out for them. No matter how talented they are, it's just a new challenge, and can they actually adapt to it? They go there, and in the past, we've seen a lot of riders think, this is going to be easy. I'm, I'm, I've been a MotoGP podium man, a race winner, whatever it would be. I'll go to Superbikes, and I'll just walk to a World Championship, and it's great, and, and everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. But you need the package around you. Look at Bautista. For two years on the Honda, he did nothing but crash and get injured. And then suddenly he's back in the Ducati and he's winning every race again. So it does come down to those kind of factors. And then if you're looking to come across, you need to have that hunger. I think Digi is going to look for it. The interesting one that I heard a few times in the last couple of years was Vinales. Because he's got a young family, 21, 20 rounds a year in MotoGP. How long do you want to keep doing that? Or do you want to switch to have 12 rounds? Most of them in Europe, it's much friendlier for having having a family. But that all comes down to can you still win in Moto GP? If you can still win in Moto GP, you're sticking in Moto GP. But mm. if you then look for the right balance, then it, it changes the, the perception of superbikes. But then the other side of that is like it's like there's no two ways about it. Superbikes is a step down, and all those riders that have had so much success in GP, can they then look to go to superbikes? And some will, some won't. I think Moto Two is probably where you're going to be looking to see riders to try and make that step up. Step up. Well, it is a step up from Moto Two to go to that. And riders like Aaron Canet over the next few years, is he going to look to move across? Um, the likes of or whoever you want to look at, that may not have a path to a, to a Moto GP bike. They might then look for a superbike ride because they'll have looked at. Locatelli, who didn't achieve much in the Grand Prix classes, move across, win a world championship, become a factory rider. Potentially, Yamaha's number one rider next year. And then they look at Cuona, Javi Vierge, riders that for Cuona's talent was never in question. He was always kind of moved up through the ranks a little bit quicker than probably he, he should have. But for a rider like Vierge, that in Moto2 would always have two or three races a year where he was fantastic and then not be consistent. I think that's the kind of path where a lot of riders will look at it and say, you know what? I'm not going to be a factory rider in MotoGP, but I could be a factory rider over there.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's a lot of question marks really when you think about it. Like uh, even when you start to think about the Kawasaki team, I know, you know, Johnny set Al isn't set kind of look back and I, I, I can't believe Al's been there for four years already, but he's been, I think that when you look at the teammates in the past, that have been Johnny's teammates, the Haslams, Sykes. Um, Al's, Al's done not a bad job as the, I guess, as the second rider there. Um, and I don't know, I, that bike again, how much is it going to improve going into next year? How many top level riders are going to want to jump on that bike knowing that the improvements aren't going to be there? And I think that when you look at like top rack moving, That is also going to be a, when you, when you see a company lose top rack, even if you're a top level guy, you start to think to yourself, well, the paycheck's going to be okay. But when the guy just left that bike, he obviously felt like maybe that bike wasn't capable. I think Kawasaki's in that same boat. It's hard to pull people um, from outside. That could be a big name to jump on a second seat with Johnny Ray. Um, Do you see much changing there? Or do you think that, that, there's a good chance that Al will just keep that, that seat.
2: I think it's one of the big difficulties to try and forecast is what happens at Kawasaki because it's pretty clear to anyone that's watching the races now that the cow is probably what, the third best bike on the grid right now and then you wait and see what happens for the other bikes because they're improving and Kawasaki isn't. I think it's always one of those things where you, you kind of think, why can't that manufacturer bring out a new bike? And the reason they can't is because you need to spend 15 million or whatever it would cost to do a production run of a new bike and you know for sports bikes i don't know what the situation like in the us but no one's buying them in you in in europe so it's very difficult to then make a, a case at your board level to say we need this new superbike because we need to be able to win in the world championship but then can you do that and then not sell the bike it's it's a very difficult sell to be able to make and then that also means that they're their road racing program is then suffering. Johnny's a six-time world champion. He's won, I don't know, 120-odd races in in World SBK. So we know how great he is. And if he can't even make it into that race-winning package, why would anyone else look at it and say, well, a bike that's been tailor-made for him over the years, a bike that he's been perfectly in tune with, if he can't make it work, I'm not going to be able to make it work. And that's why Kawasaki then becomes less and less popular for customer teams. If you think back, 10 years ago, everyone wanted to run a a customer Kawasaki and you just buy it off the shelf and run it in super bikes and you were going to be relatively successful. Now you look at it and you see Tom Sykes, former world champion, struggling to qualify in the sixth row with a grid and struggling to finish races, score points. So that's not an appealing bike for anyone to jump onto unless you're looking at it from the perspective of what happens after Johnny. And that's where someone like Javi Vieira, I think he'd be the rider that Kawasaki would look to to be in play for that kind of seat. But Scott Redding's going to look for a ride if he if he's out at BMW. Will he go to Kawasaki? Will he get paid enough at Kawasaki to then make that appealing for him? That's the other end that, that's a bit of a challenge. Kawasaki will probably... Well, you have to look at it. that You can't win six World Championships, be competitive for 10 years, and then say, oh, by the way, lads, the budget that we had that won all these races, we need that to be jumped up by... Whatever multitude you need, so you can't really find the hole in the budget to improve things, and then you can't get the results to improve things either. So Kawasaki's in a catch twenty two at the minute, I think.
0: Well, don't you think too, Steve? That like, what are you hearing about Kawasaki moving forward with the ZX ten? We know that Yamaha with the R one is only a couple of years away from not being sold as a street bike. We also know that. Europe has a big influence. You're saying sport bikes aren't being purchased. Plus we have what Euro six emissions yeah. that are on the horizon you're in five plus right now. And it's been a big thing where you know that the middleweight bikes, like those 600s basically went out of existence. They went the way of the Dodo bird because of Euro five, you know, uh, emissions and things like that. Do you think that we're in a, an era right now? And maybe this is something that top rack knew moving forward that we see Yamaha is not going to replace, you know, they're not going to replace that R1 with uh, with anything from what we understand that the leader sport bike is going to go bye-bye. Are you hearing anything about the Kawasaki or about the Honda on that same front? And maybe that's part of the decision. What we see, Steve, is motorcycles that were sold in heaps and bounds, just tons of bikes being sold in the early 2000s by the Japanese manufacturers. Now you see, bmw you see ducati setting these records they continuously develop these bikes are the only bikes really that come out with arrow on them you know more advanced because they keep selling more units there still is a demand just not the demand that you've seen in the past in the early 2000s what are you hearing about these japanese manufacturers moving forward with these bikes because like you're saying like you've touched on if you don't make them why do you want to market them by racing
2: yeah the only one that i'm hearing about a new motivation is honda and whether that'll be a big update or just small changes remains to be seen. Kawasaki, we saw that they tried to do a new homologation a couple of years ago, didn't actually end up getting it homologated. Now they need the help and they need some assistance. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we need to see moving forward is that you know we've seen the two the super concessions being talked about a lot over the last years, but it's where all the manufacturers probably need a bit of help now. Kawasaki's got a bike that basically hasn't changed from 2012 onwards like the overall architecture of the bike is the same and they've made a few upgrades here and there like they caught co- they brought out the the new bike a couple of years ago and it was basically just a new fairing it it looked like there was the wings and the aero and this that and the other but everything else was basically the same so kawa kind of, they're going to struggle going forward and that's where i think their big advantage in the past in superbikes was that the provac team was a motor gp team running in world superbikes. Now everyone's a MotoGP team. They're all top level. So the personnel advantage that they had in the past is gone. The bike advantage they had in the past is gone. And then you're just playing catch-up. And it's very easy to get complacent. It's very easy to sit in your laurels and say, well, we won a world championship with Tom. We won six with Johnny. We could have won 10 in a row because Tom could have won another couple. Johnny could have won another one. So you kind of look at it and say, we've had all this success. We're, We're great. But racing doesn't work like that. And that's the trap that's so easy to to fall into, particularly in production racing, when Ducati are going to launch a new bike next year as well. They're going to bring upgrades. So they're putting the resources in. I think we're at a crossroads now, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the minimum weights and different things to try and find a balancing point, because that's what they need to do. At the end of the day, I said it on the pod before, that the Ducati costs 40 or 50 grand. a Kawasaki costs 20 grand. If I'm buying something that's two and a half times more expensive, <laughs> it damn well better be at least a little bit better. You know, you're not just buying it for the red stickers. So I think that's the big challenge everyone has is trying to be able to balance those things out.
1: And then there is Honda, you know. Uh, I think that right now when you look at what Chavi Vierge and um, Leca 1 have done, is it's great. But... We haven't just seen an absolute superstar jump on that bike yet, other than Batista in its infancy. Now they're going on, what, year five? Is it going to be year five next year that Honda's kind of been in the fold? And really with limited amount of success, it's one of those things where you kind of look and you go, both riders have done a nice job. Both of them have got a few results. I mean, Vierge, I think, was on the podium in Indonesia uh, and, and rode really well. But we haven't really seen tons and tons of, big advancement from that bike, even from when it came into the fold, you know, four years ago. So if Honda's curious on making a new product or a new bike, or possibly getting something new homologated, you almost kind of think that they've got to put somebody on there. That's like you say, that's a hungry and B has a real resume behind them. That is going to take Honda back to the fold because Honda right now, when you think about from a road racing perspective, from the times of when we all grew up, Honda was, the big red machine, they, everybody wanted to be on a Honda. It didn't matter what it was. They have been in the doldrums now for quite, quite a few years. Um, MotoGP, they've all but been the laughing stock of things over the last say four years, obviously since Marquez was really injured. But then again, that's only one guy. If Marquez has decided today to retire. Where would they go? Right? So do, does Honda feel like they need to go? I mean, do you ever hear them saying that they need to go find like a, more relevant superstar to jump on that superbike as well. I mean, is this where Redding could be helpful, or did you think he's hurt himself a little bit by not being able to take that BMW to the next step?
2: I think he's hurt himself a lot by the comments he's made because mm-hmm. when it, when he signed for BMW, there was always a big question mark about how he would fit in with the BMW culture, and what we've seen is that he hasn't fitted in great with it because. Speed is is great. Scott's a super talented rider, and he showed that when he was on the Ducati. But we also know that the Ducati is the best bike on the grid. So a talented rider that's had success in Moto 3, well, one two fives, Moto two, and has experience on a Moto GP bike, you would expect on the best bike of the grid to be able to do a good job. On the BMW, he's been, other than last summer where he had four rounds in a row, it's been a trying time for him, and he's been very quick to make comments about it. And he's doing that as the highest paid member of the team. And that's a tough sell to make. Mm. If you're Honda, maybe you want to you want to put him on the bike, but do you want to put up with the comments that you'll have, the PR that comes from a rider saying that the bike isn't working well, this, that, and the other. For for Honda, they're in a tough situation. They've got two riders there that have two podiums and one pole position, one front row start between them for two for last year and into this year. Do you see an end of that run coming? It's difficult to see that. I think Lekwona, clearly Honda like him. They've put him onto the MotoGP bike. He was on the Suzuka bike. He won Suzuka last year. So you'd imagine that they'll look at it and say, there's probably a little more in him than there is in Vieira. Who's got the higher ceiling? Who do you go with? I think that that's where Xavi probably, even though he's been very solid on the superbike, very consistent, it hasn't been the flashes that I think you need to see from someone jumping onto a bike like that like I'm I'm convinced that if the right riders in that bike it can be very competitive but it's trying to put that right rider onto the bike and find you know the right prospect for him I, I do think Axel Bassani if Bassani wants to be a factory rider Honda's his only chance to be a factory rider realistically and a lot of that comes down to the fact that he, his manager has a great relationship with Leon Camier. I think he, he was his helmet sponsor for a long time and then If Camier, and this is a big question mark, no one really knows who makes the decisions there, whether it's Camier, it's Japan, it's Pooch, whatever it is, but maybe Pisani, a rider that's had podiums, has been up at the front, maybe he gets a chance, because he did talk to them before they signed Viera. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he's on on their hit list, but everyone's kind of facing the same challenge of how can you build something that's going to beat Alvaro? So does it really matter if you're... Moving from 10th to 7th, it's still a case of getting beaten. So I think Honda Honda need to make progress, and then they need to find the right lineup. I think that they'll keep one rider and change the other.
0: Um, Thanks for the insight into World Superbike, Steve. We appreciate it. Just real quick, what are your thoughts about Chavi forez in the U.S., and the fact that Chavi's already won three races, three out of three in the Supersport category? I know you follow Moto America, but just... You you know, you've dealt with him over the years. My experience with him is, what a really nice guy, really upbeat. I've enjoyed the time that I've had with him. So what are your thoughts about him coming to Supersport on that Ducati V2?
2: I really like Javi. I think he's a very good rider. He was never going to be that top-tier rider in World Superbikes. But on the Supersport bike, he looks great. And I'm excited for him to have a chance to do a wild card on that bike in Worlds later in the year, just to see how he would fare. Because I think he looks... He looks so comfortable on it, so confident on it. And right from his first time on the bike, he seems really happy with it. He likes being in America. I think he's embraced being in Moto America to a really great extent when some guys when they come over from Europe don't embrace that. And I think it's it's a little bit it's it's got to be a little bit tough for him whenever he knows he's riding really well and then he's in a domestic championship. He wants to be in a world championship. That's why it's good for him to be doing the world endurance as well at the same time. He's always been a little bit of a favourite son for Ducati. He won two IDM championships for them, and like, you know, I'd love to see him go and win the Moto America Super Sport Championship, and then get a chance to go to World Championship race. And I always like whenever guys win their domestic championships, and then they're able to feed up. And you know, Javi's Javi's chances of being a World Superbike rider again are very limited. But maybe he could be a Super Sport rider, and he's back on the world stage.
0: That's definitely a possibility. I mean, I know in speaking with him, you know, he told me he first came over here when he was 16 and then he wanted to come to the States. He's always had a desire to come to the States. And so was talking to the Jordan team, almost almost came over here on the Jordan team all those years back. So I think that's a little different than some of the people, you know, obviously Petrucci's probably never had the burning desire to come to the States since he was 16 years old. Additionally, what Xavi Forrest said to me was that he hopes that he's able to retire here after he earns a ride on a super bike here in moto america as well so it's uh yeah a lot of it has to do with mindset but yeah he he strikes me as a really nice guy we've had great conversations he's very open and gives me a lot of great information he's still trying to get used to the dunlops i mean he told me he hadn't been on any other tire but pirelli for i think 12 years something something along those lines so it would probably be like a homecoming for him if he did get a wild card ride Uh, is that what you're hearing i hadn't actually heard that if if that's something that it, you're it was that some, coming over
2: it was something that was kind of half rumored but I, I think that for Javi, it's about no, I'll to ask focus him. On, on what he's got on his calendar and then wait and see what happens that's like it's, it's one of the interesting ones actually because we when we were talking about ducati in world Superbikes, they've obviously got buda gun, the super sport bike that's looking really good for winning that championship it's perceived and and believed that he's got a guarantee of jumping onto a superbike if he wins the championship next year so that's a rider moving mm-hmm. up potentially as well and that's where it's it's quite interesting for us in in world superbikes to look at supersport as well because in the superbike class we've been able to see Agut or Locatelli probably Bula get going forward riders get that opportunity to to move up after they've had success and that's what you need to see like if Forest goes out and wins the supersport championship in America he deserves a chance to be on a on a Ducati in the Superbike class. I think it's probably worth saying as well, Josh Heron's doing a good job at this stage as well. He's doing a better job than I thought he was going to do, jumping onto the Superbike. I think he's about fourth in the championship after the first two rounds. He's looked pretty competitive. Obviously, round one, he looked really good. So that's probably one of those things that for Ducati as well, they're looking at, right, we're now proving our package and we need to have more riders on the Superbike going forward as well. So as will be very well placed for that.
0: Yeah. 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 Anything else for Steve, Jason? No, I always up? love
1: having him on. And, you know, I know it's a commitment with the time change and everything over in Ireland. But uh, as usual, Steve, you always do a great job on the commentating and uh, keep swinging the clubs because, you know, that's what we talk about mostly, G-Dub. We're always on the. Oh, my
0: God. You every day. First, I'm getting first of stats, all, JP, the fact that you I'm even know everything. that it was Ireland this time is, is is probably better.
1: What
2: do you mean? Oh, he's been over here now. So, you know, he knows that now. He's playing Yeah, he's
0: he's got a frame of reference I'm planning my yeah. way
1: back i'm planning my way back in august stevie it was talked about again I, this morning so
2: yeah i'll tell you what i only have one thing that i want to comment about what is going on oh, with boy. your motor gp fantasies how is how is oh, it so Christ. bad this oh year? dude hey i moved <sighs> this year you obviously weren't watching
1: me last year i'm, I'm right no. where, I'm right where i left off but i jumped up like 26 spots this last week i'm almost inside the top 300 stevie
0: look steve top the fundamental the problem with Moto fantasy that. is if you yeah no you're no. wait you're 300 <laughs> in the world no Are steve no 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 i'm just thinking no what no. The, you have a fundamental problem which is if your value of your team drops below the original 15 million mark it's like you're stuck and mine's dropped to like 14.7 so I don't, you know, my problem is I still believe in Peko and I don't want to get rid of him. And he's my only real high dollar guy. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not, not looking good for me this year. The, the, the thing is, you only have so much budget, right? So the other guys, like I have Alex Marquez, his values dropped. I have Grassini as a team, their values dropped. You know, it's it, it, Maverick, he's dropping like a rock too. So you're sitting there going like, who do I get rid of to get money to get somebody else? I only have one real high value rider that makes sense and I'm trapped. I'm trapped and I've, I like slid from, I don't even know. I was like 50th or 40th to 150th or something ridiculous. I'm not even going to look at it until it's time to look at it. Speaking of that, Steve, before we let you roll out, what's the next round for you guys? Uh, what's the date? And where are you going?
2: We're off to Mizano next week. So we've had a few weeks off since Catalonia and I love going to Mazano It's one of my favorite rounds of the year. Stay down in Catalica. It's nice down there. Good restaurants. You're close to the track. Weather's always good. So that's always one of my favorite races. I always say to everyone that Mugello for the MotoGP looks amazing because the track is fantastic. And everything about Mugello is great when you're at the track. But everything when you're away from the track is a disaster. Whereas Mizano is probably a little bit like the opposite. The track is pretty boring. It's got not, nothing really special about it, but the town is good. There's no traffic. You're able to get in and out nice and easily. I always tell everyone is a good round to go to, so I'm looking forward to that, and then I go straight from that to the Isle of Man for the TT.
0: Wow, busy summer for TT. you, for sure. Man, it's great. All right, Steve, thanks so much, man, for the insight and joining us. We appreciate it. Steve, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thanks again, and uh, see you soon. All right. Our thanks again to Steve English for his insight as to what is going on in that paddock. So I guess, Jay, that wraps up news presented by Arai. So that means you're up. Yeah, let's kill it. Like this last weekend, Greg and I just returned home from
1: Barber Motorsports Park, Dub, second round of the year at uh, at Barber. And we were treated to, I think, a pretty solid weekend. It was going to be hard to live up to the expectations that were left after I rode Atlanta. And I think that our social media and everything blew up about, are we going to see racing like this all year? Like what are our opinions on things? Some people even went as far as say, Oh, it's just like a one-time occurrence. And I think after Barber, I can't really, I can't really say one way or the other, if it's going to be like this all year. And I'll tell you why, because as we saw on the weekend, Jake Gagne, you know, kind of dominated proceedings. He went back to the Jake Gagne that we know he's won three out of four races now on the year. Um, and you know, Greg, he won these races fairly easy. Uh He did his normal thing where he gets out first day. I mean, what did he do? Twenty-two point four minute. Twenty-two point four he did to shatter the old existing. Um, that was Sunday, wasn't it? He he broke that lap record on Sunday because earlier that morning, Cam- he
0: broke it. No, he broke it twice, Jay. He, he broke, broke it, it
1: on Saturday. He broke a point 8. eight. Okay, yeah, yep,
0: yep. Then yeah.
1: Okay, sorry. Yeah, twenty-two eight. Then he went twenty-two four, but. He he shattered that by half second. Um, The times, Greg, still didn't get down to the times that we thought that they might do. As far as um, the the um, weekend went, some of that could be tire. You know, Dunlop's got new tires, and the track was chewing up tires this weekend. So the shortened the first day, the first race on Saturday, shortened that down. But but Gagne goes out and wins both these races, Greg, and it looked pretty easy to us. I think that when you look at everybody else. Um, that first day, I'm going to pull up some results for us here in a second, but that first day, Greg, when we looked at the results and we saw all three Yamahas on the podium, obviously with Cam Peterson running second, and he was actually able to get pretty, got it down to under two seconds by the end of a 16 lap race because the, because the tires were chewing up the way they were, they kind of shortened that race up. But, uh, Cam looked pretty strong, Sculpt's second, or third rather, Bobier ends up fourth. But Greg, when you look at it, the, the thing that was telling to both of us when we were in the booth after the race was that Bobier was nine seconds back, but he didn't get the start that he, did he needed, did he? And he, Gagne got out there first and he lost about five to six seconds, probably in the first five or six laps of that race, having to go through people and then kind of raced by himself, the remainder of it. And on Sunday morning, he, it, you know, they went to the R3 tire he was the only one on the R5 on Saturday. Sunday, he looked a lot better. Just to just to round out the top 10 that day on the first day, P.J. Jacobson, a solid fifth. Heron, six, who struggled all weekend. Just that Ducati just didn't look good. Uh, boy, he rode hard, though, to get the, the positions he got and got good points. Escalante, impressive on the weekend. Yates, Alexander, and Hayden Gillum were top 10. Um, I mean, are you ready to just hand this over to Garnier and, and attack right, right this second?
0: Oh that's a tough one. Mm. I mean, no. But you know, Jake Jake has made mistakes. You know, he's 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 fallen off the bike and stuff like that or Almost on Sunday, huh? How about that? Dude, he almost yeah. launched himself to the moon and we saw some video of it too and it was woof. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. It was like eight second, lap yeah. eight, eight lap or I think eight laps into the race and he was Eight laps to go great. Like 6 7 laps. Eight, eight laps to go, to go sorry. Yeah, eight laps yeah, to go yeah, and yeah. he was trying some stuff, right? And that's the thing that's <clears> that's <throat> That's very interesting about Jake. Jake just isn't out there, you know, just grinding laps out. He was telling us after the race, like, hey, I started to notice this was moving around. I was trying to get on the meat of the tire, so I was trying something different, working on his riding style, which is always a good lesson for a lot of young racers to learn. hundred percent. If you find yourself, I don't care if you're out in the lead or if you're in eighth place and you're by yourself and, you know, you should start trying different lines and trying some things. I mean, don't throw your race away. But anyway, so... We just we just don't have enough Road Atlantas and we don't have enough Road Americas in terms of just big dinos, right? Like, yeah. that are going to keep this championship close. Yeah. But right now, as a refined package, Jake Gagne is... I, I'm not going to, you know, have the banquet right now, Jason. He's still a step I'd ahead, really find no, it, isn't he, He's still a step ahead. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that There was a comment made to me by someone in archery who I, you know, who I work with and, and I'm really good friends with who is now a massive Moto America fan. And they're like, this is cool because you're watching like greatness unfold, you know, like you're watching a guy at the top of his game on a motorcycle and a crew that's at the top. This guy has only been following the sport for six months, you know? And so it's tough from our perspective because it's hard to commentate. Uh, not hard. It just makes it more difficult to commentate because we don't have a race race going on and we have a race for second or third or fourth or whatever it is. But on the other hand, the fact that you're watching somebody who's just massively on top of his game is incredible. I think that there was a reality check for people this weekend that Cameron Bobier was going to be the savior of everything and come back on a bike like a BMW that is new and still being developed and all those types of things and just go compete with an attack R1 that has just literally i mean it feels like they're at the point with that bike J where they just go i don't know we're going to try something different how about one extra click it's so refined and they do they constantly are working on stuff Stamboli still has more ideas of you know next generation swing arms and things like that and when he builds a new swing arm they they have to do this and that and how much more horsepower can you get out of a motorcycle like the R1? It is what it is; it hasn't changed in years. Yeah, but so they're still working on it. But and to your point, Garnier's just dialed. And to your point, there though, Greg, that's why they were still testing on Monday. I was at a track day on Monday at Barber. The whole attack
1: team is there still. You know, Richard's there. Mm. They're grinding, man. They're grinding. And and I think I have an idea why because they're grinding and then they're driving all the way back across country to go test at Buttonwillow before they go to Road America. And that just goes to show, like the work ethic and the um, the never sitting still aspect of Stamboli I mean is he is still so driven after all the success that that team has had he's beyond driven and he wants to continually push the most he can and when you look at it like that the the reason I really believe it is on Sunday morning I saw something I wa- I I watched the session all Sunday morning Cameron Bobier's bike looked It's the best I've ever seen a BMW look. And I'm not talking about this year. I am talking about ever. I study the the World Superbike stuff the best I can. I'll I'll re-watch races. um, But I study as much as I can about it. Read a little bit about it, obviously, too. Whatever Titlers is doing on that bike right now for Cameron is starting to work. And um, he ended up on the second day, just to shout out a couple results real quick, Second day, it was Gagne by 2.9 over Skoltz and Bobier. Cameron Bobier and Skoltz were tied together for most of this race. And um, Bobier's bike looked so much more incredibly better than it did uh, the first day. Obviously, this R3 tire was much better. Tremendous ride from Richie Escalante and another show of how much a team is working hard to get their rider comfortable. M4XR Suzuki team, Vision Wheel team. They've got Richie looking really solid on that bike. PJ ended up fifth again. Heron sixth. Corey Alexander moved up to seventh on this day. Yates, Tony Elias, and Hayden Gillum again tenth. So, but but when you look at it, it's like Bobeau now that bike looked so hooked up. And you and I talked about it. I think even during the telecast, how little it was moving and how how fast it is. He'll be a big problem for them at Road America. Um, the BMW will be. I think you can throw PJ in that realm too. I think PJ with his stature and he'll be tough too. The, the big tell for the for this race, Greg, is when you look back, Gagne goes a minute 22.4. The next best lap time of the race is a 23-1. Okay. Seven tenths slower was Bobier and he was the second best time. So when you have a guy that can go out and drop the hammer like that in the first two or three laps, that's a big thing. Now, if Bobier gets off the line with him, and could actually follow him down in a turn one, we know that Bobier has the ability to hang it out for a lap or two at the beginning of races, because we used to see him do the same thing Gagne is doing now. It's going to be a question of how well they can get that BMW working. And when you see what Attack is doing and they're they're testing the day after a hard three-day race weekend, and then they're you know coming back to do more testing before they go to the next round. That train's not moving, or that train's not stopping. Moving, it's 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 continuing to roll.
0: Yeah, and I don't really know what innovation they're looking at. You know, right. and there are some really positive things that are going on. As we look at Jake Gagne being at the top of his game, we look at some other really positive things that make me wish that we were a twenty round series <laughs> in a way. Yeah, one of them is the Westby bike looked the best I've seen it. Yes, period. Yeah. In all aspects of it. And I know that they have added a new person to the team kind of temporarily, maybe permanently kind of thing on the data side of things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I should really talk about his name or whatever, but I can tell you this. Their normal, one of their normal data people wasn't able to be there. And this new guy built a bunch of data stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, the, the other data guy, Vito, checked it over, and from what I was told was like, whoa, this stuff is actually really, really good. And f- visibly, you, could, you and I could both see how better that bike looked in all aspects, under acceleration, under braking. Under, you know, and I think some of the things with Skoltz is under braking, we know that electronics are very sensitive to make sure that the bike is stable under braking. It's not always just spring rates and, and geometry. Some of it has to do with electronics mm-hmm. and the tire, obviously. So that's a positive sign for me. We go to Road America that is freshly paved, barring the chicane, and we'll preview more Road America next week, so I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on that. But having a bike that's smooth, I think having a smooth Road America track is going to uh, allow riders to do different things. Mm -hmm. Road America has always been a balance between the bumps Mm -hmm. and hard breaking down into turn five. Right? Like you've got to have enough spring to keep that thing off the bottom to break into turn five, but you also have to have it soft enough. Now the question is, what's going to be different? If you don't have those bumps to contend with, you know, how stiff can you make that bike? And is that going to be something where people tune themselves out of, you know, out of out of traction? The fact that Bobier's bike looks like it had great traction. Let's keep in mind, Jay, that sometimes you can have too much and you're going to wear the tire out because there's too much grip. Right. Right? Yep. Like, I think we, we, we had that conversation yep. about Corey Alexander and his titler's bike. Too much rear grip. Too much grip. Sometimes yep. you need it to spin. Sometimes you need it to be able to turn. Every rider is different, types right? Of things. Every, every rider is different. Every rider is different. Right. Like, I need a bike, you know, not to spin, not to move, not to do. Basically, I just need it to, like, steer me around the corners, accelerate for me. You know, those types of things. You
1: need to be on the back of somebody whose bike does that for them.
0: Oh, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Yeah, you can just yeah. sit there and shoot yeah. your bow,
1: you know what I mean, while you're yeah, on the back. Yeah, shoot my bow. I got no problem. I'll ride you around, GW. Put the bow over my shoulders, and we'll just.
0: <laughs> but the Vision Wheel m 4 Star Suzuki team with Richie Escalante, yeah. two big things. Number one, they had that big firmware update. They're really working through that. They're getting the bike more comfortable for Escalante. He's starting to feel like a super bike racer. That's critical. What we don't know is 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 now as we're so many years away from that exact same bike being a, a competitive motorcycle. I think this could be a really good test at Road America to see just how fast that GSXR one thousand is and how they're progressing with him. Yep. I saw Tony Elias at the airport right now. Tony is a bit lost. Yep, you know he's he, um, and it's all about front end feel. They 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 threw the kitchen sink at it. Thought they had it solved. They didn't quite have it solved. Yeah. He, you know, just can't feel the bike and everything else. And it's very frustrating for him. But closer in terms of Richie no, Closer on Sunday
1: than he was. Closer on, on Sunday, Saturday. right?
0: But yeah. I did I did talk to him and he said it was it was different bike, but much the same. Yeah. So anyway, so for Richie Escalante, I think it's a big, it's a big step in the right direction to close the gap. I think for Matthew Schults, it's a big direction to close the gap. Unfortunately for Cameron Peterson, you know, he might have a setback. Um in terms of his physicality. Uh we'll we'll know more about that. We're not gonna really reveal anything more than than, you know, until a press release comes out. Then you have Cameron. You know, the thing is is I'm not sure that that Cameron's teammates are gonna help Cameron. I think Cameron's kind of on his own in terms of developing that bike and setting it up. I think BJ rides completely different than he does, and obviously with Corey's size. So I almost feel like for the Titlers team that that they are almost like three individual riders all trying to sort their way through through the bikes and stuff. Yeah. But they do. They do talk th- with each other. I mean, which is great. But I'm just saying, like yeah, but similar but setups right. and all that kind of yeah, stuff. you got one. Kid. We're, we're, yeah. we're listen. Yeah. We're a one bike rule, right? We're a one bike rule in Superbike, which means that you don't have the ability, and we haven't had for years, the ability to come in with two bikes, jump on one setup, and try another one. So I think it's more important than it's ever been. And this is where the Josh Heron thing, I think, really struggles the program and and how that the Warhorse team just hasn't really gotten a hold of that concept. It's like. Heron is on an island developing that bike by himself, yep he's got he's got no way to, to to go with some crazy setup to try. Think about like when you were teammates at Yosh, right It was you, Matt, and who else I had, was, was well, at the, the first same time? year it was
1: me Matt I think it was I think it was Larry no, I don't think it was Pegram it was rap rapper was there yates was yates with you it might was and Yates and one and me and Matt in the other truck.
0: Right, so you guys had four riders, yeah. okay? But even if it was you two with the two bike rule, yeah. You and Matt rode pretty similar, I think, right? In setups. <laughs> some some people would disagree with that. He was- <laughs> In setup, <laughs> Setups. Yeah, no, probably pretty close. Maybe Matt Matt, 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 Matt. Matt helped me a
1: lot. Yeah, I mean, he. he yeah, actually right. But me what I'm saying
0: is, yeah. what I'm saying is, there was always a possibility that those crew chiefs spoke, yeah, and said, you know what, our riders are very similar. Listen, can we can we toss a session down the road for Jason and try this geometry setup? On a different bike, try this electronic yeah. setup or whatever on his second bike. Yeah. And then give us feedback because I trust him or whatever and help push the program along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You can't do that as With much a team there, like no. Titlers and you have three riders, if all three riders had very similar riding styles, like the thing is that the the, the what, what Gagne does and what Cam Peterson does is they're not exactly the same setup, but they're similar setups. Right. And they've gone closer and they've gone further away. Yeah. But the idea is, is like we don't have two bikes, so we have two riders that they're similar. Let's go ahead and try some things and and it helps development along quicker. So what I'm saying with Bobier is Bobier's Bobier dude. He has not he's not missed a step. He's still an absolute stud. Cameron knows that now. After I think winning Road Atlanta, there was nothing that could have been better for Cameron Bobier mm-hmm. than to win Road Atlanta. Win early. Win early, get the confidence back after two years of struggling on a moto Two bike. So I think that there's a ton of signs in the medallion superbike class that point in the direction of closing the gap to Gagne. But right now Jake Gagne is just on another planet. If he shows up at Road America and he does something that we don't often see, which is he's all of a sudden half a second fast lap, you know, faster than everybody else and no one's competing, I think then you kind of go, Uh oh, we might have an issue. I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see it, it with PJ. I don't see it with Cameron you know, the speed of those bikes and we'll see what happens with the rest.
1: Road America. Cause Escalante is, they'll be closer. I think that the Ridge, that's where you're, you know, I'm, I'm not giving it to anybody again, but I think you'll see kind of Yamaha, more dom- separation, Yamaha let's just say more separation might be happening there. Again. Yeah. Cam, I don't care about the fact that Bobby has never been to the Ridge. Um, and who knows if he's not going to get up there before, who knows he might get up there and see it at a track day or something. I don't know any of this, but, but the thing is, is I think barber, there's like he said uh, in his podium interview that they're almost still testing, you know, like they're, they're trying new stuff, they're testing new things and seeing what works. And you know, um, I think that for him, they know that Road America they'll be okay there on a freshly repaved track, especially no bumps, they have good straight line speed. I can see Bobie camping out on the back of a, a train of riders, and, and I think it'd be hard for him to get away, but I can see him kind of camping there and then. Doing something, you know, drafting at the line, whatever. I, I look at the end of it, it's it's a matter of how well he can get through the corners as well and keeping a tire underneath him. And that's the same for everybody. But on paper, after looking at Atlanta, the BMWs should be closer. I think Escalante to me, super impressive. He's only eight seconds back at the end. And I know people go, well, it's still eight seconds. And as a rider, that's still frustrating, but it's eight seconds, it's not 20. And, and he, kids working really, really hard. Um, and, and again, Sculthorpe rode well. I think right now, when you start talking about the Warhorse team and Heron, if Josh can mentally stay strong and ride the bike as hard as I saw him ride it throughout the course of both those Superbike races, he 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 was struggling with a motorcycle that wasn't cooperating with the things that he needed it to do, and you could see that pretty clearly. Tipping was a big problem on the Ducati when the tires went off. You could see Josh just, he was getting into the corners deep, breaking, but he couldn't get into some of the rolling corners as fast as he would like it because the rear of the bike was coming around on him on entry. And you really have to make sure and feel like the bike is underneath you. But he lasted both those races, riding as hard as he could, holding people off in a very exhausting way of riding a bike. So I was impressed with his fitness and I was impressed the fact that he could continue to ride a bike that way for that long because it's not easy. And there'll be horses for courses for him as well, um, where I think that again, Road America, that thing should be fast, should be up there. So, I, you know, Greg, I think you know, heading off into the next round, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. Uh, you had anything to add to that?
0: No, not really. Super sport. I just. Oh, go ahead. Well, let's just go. So, Gagne is leading the championship yep. by 21 over Bobier skultz is there, and then. I do want to say there are eight riders in the Superbike Cup, which we don't often talk about. Nolan Lampkin's got an 18-point lead over uh, Joe Giannato uh, and Jason Waters in that one. So, okay. yeah. yeah. I mean, Nolan He's riding great. Had, didn't have a great weekend for him, but he, in terms of the Superbike Cup, which is kind of a race inside of a race, mm-hmm. he won round one, second in round two, and he won uh, round three, which is Barber race one, but he finished fourth. I guess so. we well, had
1: a problem in the race where uh, he had a piece of bodywork come off, and so they had to pit and rescrew it back on because he had he actually had a great weekend in Stock Thousand. So, um, you know, Nolan's definitely coming into his own, and we'll talk about that in a second. In Super Sport, Greg, we had the first of our extended races this year, where we um, mm-hmm. we brought pit stops into play, and unfortunately, I don't really think this weekend was a true um, decisive. Like we can't sit there and go, hey, how was that long race? You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sit there and ask you, Jay. So, uh, is it, it a win or is it a loss? Right? Correct. Like, no, I don't. Too many weird yeah. things
1: happened. We started the race in the dry after um, Tyler Scott set a new outright lap record, I believe, at 26. You'll, you'll, fi- you'll fix me on this, but 26 something, and yeah. he was sitting on pole, looking pretty solid. And then four or five laps into the race, there was a group of riders that you'd expect to be there: Chavi Forrest, Stefano Mesa, of course, Josh Hayes. Um, Ty Scott was there, but it started to sprinkle, started to rain, Greg. And the second that it did a couple of leaders stayed out, but we had some issues in the back where back markers, uh, we had had back markers, just guys in the further back in the field had some pretty big get offs. Um, uh, Declan, uh, Van Rossmullen was one of them. That was a big high side for him. I was really happy to see him actually get up. You know, that was a, that was a big one. um, Dylan Yelton and I think Tropkoff, Jordan Tropkoff were were the three that were kind of involved. And what ended up happening was they red flagged the race. But by that point, it had rained really, really hard. And so the the thing was then was, what was the tire choice going to be? Two of the riders, <laughs> Chubby Forrest and Josh Hayes, started on on wets. And the, 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 the concept behind this was, you know, you got to pit anyways, Greg, right? You had to, they had to pit anyways. So you want to try to get out to... Use the wet tires, get away from the field the best that you can. And then when you pit, if the track starts to dry, you know, it it, it set itself up for kind of an interesting finish. We lost Jarrett Nassini on the warm-up lap of that race. And then Corey Ventura, unfortunately, had a really big crash um, in the quick little chicane down the back straightaway. And that brought out the red flag, which was a shame. But during that red flag, it dried the track off. So now it became a, you know, who's going to pick what tires? There was really only one, two, two or three people that picked the wrong ones. Unfortunately, of our front runners, Josh Hayes was one of those. Ty Scott and T. Cobbs with the Well M4 team also. They chose to go out on wet when the track was essentially dry. So their race was a little bit kind of ran. And at the front, Chavi Forrest and Stefano Mesa went back and forth for a while. Uh, Chavi Forrest ends up winning. He's undefeated for the year. He wins by almost 10 seconds over Mesa. Masiato came home third. Michael Gilbert ends up fourth. Hayes fifth. Ty Scott, sixth. T Cobbs, uh, Damian Jagalov and Sean Hopkins rounded out the top 10. I, you know, look, when these guys go to Laguna, Greg, it'll be a lot more fun for us to call this race. Hopefully I, I made a, I made a prediction on TV that it will not rain in July at Laguna. So let's hope that that's
0: okay. <laughs> so you've, yeah, <laughs> as long as Hannah didn't say it, I guess we're good to go. Uh, since she kind of said that stuff. Um, I I think all the pieces were in place yeah all the pieces were in place I think there were a lot of things that happened there were some regulations that came down after conversations from a variety of teams and us and uh on Friday and then another one on Saturday you know a couple regulations as to what the process was things going on I like the idea behind it uh people are talking about it the entries are freaking big. I mean, I know that we got the entry list already for road America. And I mean, you're still, you're still holding on to another 31 entries or whatever for the super sport class. So I think there's renewed interest in it, both as a function of next generation bikes. And then with these, with these pit stops. Yeah. I mean, Um, yeah, it's just there's just you know
1: it wasn't really a Mesa made out because he see. made
0: the wrong decision after the first red flag and Josh H- Hayes you know loses out because he made the tie in those guys but I think the idea is good I like the flag to flag coverage all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's that and in the championship like you're saying it's 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 uh Chavi Fores perfect 100 points Mesa who is you know in his first full season uh which is great. He's in third sec- second place and Josh Hayes who's now committed to a full season is in third spot over ty scott who if you don't expect ty scott to be right up front and winning this race again at road america you got another thing coming well, because was, he won it last year and josh was even at
1: barber on monday testing something new for them for that team too so mm-hmm. you know we got another semi in the, in the paddock now with squid hunter racing uh kyle wyman had his semi sitting there those guys leased it for the year and uh it's just one more way of looking at the team and uh, having another team in the paddock and better than josh to do it had a lot a lot of discussions with him on monday about things and you know they're trying some stuff right now so we'll see how that goes for him uh you know with that yeah you know
0: all right moving on to junior cup avery Dreyer wins his third in a row in race number one max van was in second that's it was his third second in a row and then we saw the coming out party yandel medina finishing in third ahead of DeMario. mario Hayden Bickneys, Levy Batty was six. Chris Clark was in seventh. Not the Chris Clark if you're old. Yeah. Different Chris Clark. <laughs> Different Chris Clark, yeah. Yeah. Rossi Moore in eighth place. Jaden Fernandez in ninth. Uh, David Roth in 10th spot. If you move to race number two, it was Levy Batty who has a 3,000 second win. It was really just a photo finish over Hayden Bickneys. Avery Dreyer in third. Max Fan in fourth. Yandel Medina fifth. Those five were covered by seven-tenths of a second. And then DeMario, Chase Black, Fernandez, Cunnison, uh, Elliot, Roth, Monk, and Sneed, they were all in a battle themselves. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and that was a great little great little scrap that they had. They all finished within a second, 1.3 seconds of each other. I think we cut to the, like the last lap and we saw Sneed coming, coming up and out of the saddle right. on his R3. right. But he was able to do that. In the points championship, it's Dreher who's got 18 points over Max Van and Hayden Bickney's right now. But Jason, looking at the championship, even though we're only four races into this thing, mm-hmm. you know Max Van is definitely has to find an answer. But what do you think about Junior Cup racing? Was good. It was a big full field of 30 riders or something. What do you think?
1: Well, dreyer's definitely figured out a way to to win these races from the front, which was great. Second day was a little bit obviously tougher, but Max Van to me is kind of the guy that's, you know, he's kind of keeping his nose clean and he's, he's doing well enough. You gotta remember they have less races. And so like tracks, like, like, I don't think that they go to like the Ridge, the Ridge is a place where we can see somebody break away at the Ridge. Um, We're, you know, we're not going to see them there or at Laguna. I think the next time we see them after road America is at Brainerd, I believe. So they've got two big drafting racetracks coming up and that can be good. And it can be bad if you're second, third, fourth in the points, because, it definitely gives you the opportunity to gain points if you can win. And the person that you're racing against gets shuffled back to seventh. Um, but these, the, you know, the, the round here at Barber, we saw Yandel Medina up front, which was good. Like really battling for the win on that first day. Uh, took a shot in the last corner. Uh, DeMario is another one that you're going to look at uh, that, that is capable of winning races. Cause they, you know, he's been there too, but now Levy Levy bad. is one, He's going to want that feeling again. So, Look, Junior Cup right now is really fun to watch um, in the sense that when you start to see um, new faces and kids trying to figure out a way now, not to just – there's some kids that are still trying to figure out how to get on the podium, and then there's some kids that are like, whoa, I can actually win these races. And, um, you know, so that's what's fun for me is you start to see development of riders. And I think that uh, Junior Cup this year is good for that. Somebody new will win the championship. So it it makes it kind of fun.
0: Um, It definitely does. Yeah.
1: In stock thousand, we had two races uh, in stock thousand this weekend and it was kind of, look, I'm not trying to play (laughs) this down. It's kind of what we've expected to happen this year, but Hayden Gillum split. like Hayden Gillum wins um, race one. He wins by almost five seconds over a great battle between teammates uh, for, for a while. Actually, that was second race. Vaubier ends up finishing second and Caleb Carroll ends up third on the first day, both on their orange cat racing, BMWs Wyman fourth, Nolan Lampkin fifth, Taylor Knapp, sixth, Gianato waters to Silva, who we talked about um, coming into this weekend. Good to see him back. And Zach Butler, who I think for Zach, that might've been career best 10th. So good for him. Uh, in race two, Gillen wins by five seconds over that battle between two minutes uh, between two teammates. Sorry. Um, DeCarroll ends up getting on top, uh, getting the better of Bobier. second race. So second and third for those guys. Knapp ends up fourth. Nolan again fifth. De Silva jumped up to six. Waters, Giannato, Burke, Camacho, and er- 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 Arango end up top ten. Um, in this race, Travis Wyman, I think he put on social media that he had a motor below, so he didn't actually get to finish that second round. So that's a bit of a dent in his championship. But when you look at this one, Greg, Hayden Gillum, to me, after battling with Corey Alexander last year for the championship and winning races and things, he's definitely the guy to beat moving forward. I think he's gonna be—he's gonna be a tough one for these guys to catch um, if they keep everything well. And again, on Monday, can't stress this enough. I saw Hayden Gillum probably do more laps than anybody on Monday at Barber. Like whatever they were working on and grinding on, um, you know, he was out there doing. He was there from the morning. Sessions, and he was one of the last riders off the track on on Monday. So that disrupt racing team are working really hard.
0: They are working really hard. Yeah, I I don't think Suzuki pays contingency either. Like, you know, it's really funny if you look at it and you go, OK, it's like Suzuki wins BMW, 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 Kawasaki, BMW, Kawasaki, Yamaha, right? Like you're you're sitting there going like this is one of those classes, this is a private tier class stock thousand steel commander stock thousand. Yep. And I, you can really have to look to, like, what drives it. But at this point, Hayden Gillum, the Disrupt Racing team, I mean, they just have everything dialed in right now. And it's going to be an exciting championship because Ezra Bobier is getting better and better and better. Yeah. And so and is Caleb. He's, I mean, so is Caleb. Yeah. And both Caleb and Hayden Gillum are 26 points behind Ezra Bobier. So if Hayden Gillum starts on a run that we think could possibly happen, you know, the almost like the Jake Gagné situation in, in Medallia Superbike. And Ezra starts losing little, you know, four points to five points here or three points there or whatever. It's going to be very interesting to see how Ezra Bobier deals with that situation, you know? yeah, I do want to say this, though, that we never talked about, I don't know if the Live Plus crew talked about, there's so many people entered in Stock 1000 that Moto America decided to take the top 10, from Stock 1000, and put them into superbike practice and qualifying, separate them from the field because there were just too many riders on. Bar- Barber's a small track. Yeah, yeah. Three miles. Road America it, right?
1: won't be as big a deal, huh?
0: Yeah, so Ezra Bobier, who only competes in the Steel Commander Stock 1000 class, actually was on the track with his brother Cameron for the very first time ever <laughs> in, in, in the first practice session on Friday with, with his brother. So Ezra and Cameron, that was the first time professionally, obviously, wow. they've been on you know, and and I, I did think that you know I thought initially it was kind of weird, but then I kind of remember this is really Ezra's first go at really being here solid full time because he kind of dipped his toe in, and then he was he gone. Was there last year back. for the most
1: part? Yeah, last yeah. year, but Cameron
0: wasn't. Cameron right, so. wasn't.
1: That's right. Yeah, and
0: I was lucky enough to be there to 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 see both of them. Like they walked up, we were talking to someone else who asked him the question, and so you know, and Ezra, if you if if you don't know, is probably about a foot and a half taller than his brother. <laughs> which yeah. Is, which is funny. I like Because Cameron's about the same dude. size as his parents, you know? Yeah. But yeah, Ezra's a really nice cat and all that kind of stuff. And that's pretty cool. Yep. Moving on to Twins Cup, Jason. Yep. Uh, okay. So we kind of have a very similar situation as to what's going on, although this one was a bit different. Uh, race two, it was a red flagged race. And so it only went five laps, but Rocco Landers ends up winning over Kayla Yakov, Dominic Doyle, Hayden Schultz, Blake Davis, your number one plate in fifth, Jackson Blackman. Uh, Cassidy Heiser, I think, is how you how you would say that. Chris Parrish, Ray Hoffman, again, class we don't do, or else I would have gone to Cassidy and asked the question. Uh, and Joe Lamandry Jr., old old bazooka Joe, in tenth place in race number two it was fourteen laps. Rocco ends up winning by five point four over Blake Davis, Kayla Yakov, Hayden Schultz, Cassidy Parrish, Lamandry in seventh place. Jackson Blackman. In ninth, Ray Hoffman and Daniel Garver in the mix. In that championship, you have Blake Davis, who leads Gus Rodeo by two points. Now, you notice I didn't say anything about Gus Rodeo. Gus Rodeo in the Revit Twins Cup class went win, second, 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 and basically had two non-points-paying finishes in this one. Hayden Schultz is tied in third place. Rocco's in fourth. As for Kayla, it's her first appearance all year, so she's missed four races. And after two race appearances, she's in 11th, 51 points back. What do you think? Did you get to watch? I can't remember. You watched Twins Cup. You must. I have. did.
1: I. Well, I always watch them. I. You know, since you and I don't cover it, I'm. I'm bummed. I try to. I try to meet as many of the writers as I can, and I know most of them. But um, we don't call it. So it's like I'm usually busy doing other things. But it's. I like to watch the races because I like to see who's doing who's doing what. Right now, look at the end of the day, Rocco is head and shoulders above everybody in the sense that he has been able to show that he can win these races. And I say that Gus kept him super honest, like Gus rodeo, amazing writer. Um, he kept, he kept, uh, Rocco honest for a certain amount of laps. And then Rocco can kind of just keep grinding those laps out. Cause when you look at, you know, sort of fast time to fast time, um, Gus is close. Um, race one was kind of just to me, it was a real shame because uh, it started raining on these guys. Gus gets caught out in turn two, and then kind of the way the rules are written and how you want to look at it and this and that. They didn't let him restart, Greg. Um, I, to me, it was a bit of a shame. And um, you know, again, I, I'm not involved in the class. I really didn't even understand what went on until Sunday afternoon. If I'm being honest with you, I I didn't get to hear Gus's interview. I didn't get to hear any of that, but. And, and more importantly, the second day, I was I was really bummed for Gus getting cleaned out um, the way he did by, you know, Dom. Dom, Dom Doyle has been riding amazing. He got his first podium on Saturday. Gus was kind of coming back to the field. I think that when he went with Rocco at the beginning and he was running the same lap times as Rocco, I think he might have destroyed his tire. And so Gus was starting to come backwards and Dom was going forwards uh, along with Blake Davis. And um, basically Dom made a move two let la- two corners from the end. And got into the back of Gus and put Gus on his head. And it's just a kind of a shitty weekend for Gus all the way around when you when you look at it. But um, I don't even know what the points are. What are the points, GW? Do you have those pulled up in that, yeah, one, in that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I was just telling you the points. So oh, I'm basically, sorry. Blake Davis leads Gus by two and Hayden Schultz by two.
1: Yeah. So you look at it and so you go like... So it's
0: 87, 85, 85. Rocco, who, you know, who hasn't, didn't, he missed the first two and then he DNF the first race he was in. God. He's on a three-peat. And I guess Rocco, he's not full-time, Jay, but Rocco sits there in fourth. So the question is now... He's only 12 points back? Gonna, wow. He's, he's, he's a fill-in rider, technically. Yeah, he's 12 points back. So what are they going to do? He yeah. kind of like post-race Rocco did what Rocco does and it's kind of like, I hope they find a position for me It's like... Yeah. It's a tough spot to be in. And, and I, yeah,
1: and you know, I'm, and this- I'm bummed for Ben Gladi. I, Hey, we haven't forgot about Ben Gladi. You know, it's like, I, no. I know what, I know he's gone through some stuff and I don't know if he's coming back this year. Um, extremely talented young man who got caught out in a situation at Daytona that was not his fault. Um, and so I hate to see that he's going through some stuff right now, but Rocco stepped in and done a nice job for them. But again, Blake Davis finds himself kind of back in the lead. Gus, unfortunately after such a beginning to the year that he had a solid solid start um he didn't score any points there so that hurt him so twins cup does not go to road America um so I think the next time they race is actually I believe it's Brainerd um so we'll see we'll see him there in stock thousand great oh, sorry we already went through stock thousand um, yeah, that's it yeah, yeah that's it we're, we're, we're done I was thinking we had one more but I forgot we didn't even have baggers there so no baggers for nope
0: us. Don't worry about it. Road America, you and I, as the broadcast team, different from live plus crew, we'll have eight races we have to call because we'll have. But again, we're going we're gonna to go in a little bit more detail. We're going to talk to some more. There was a test that happened, I think, what, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago where some of the teams went to Road America, including like Heron and, and the Ducati guys and a couple other people. They already went. Yeah. And they got to sample it. Now, lap times were slower, Okay, by three to four seconds and people were kind of chitter chattering about that. But the reality was the track is just dirty. It's filthy, but it's it's freshly paved. So I'll even reach out to Dunlop and find out what data they have, because obviously we go to new tracks and it can eat tires up. And there was the issue that we had where, you know, tires were shredding after six, seven laps, in some cases, five laps, both on basically all classes. Mm -hmm. And when we got there at Barber, it was cooler. There was. We didn't see sun until the second day, right. late afternoon. Right. So things everybody said that having the heat in the track on Sunday was way better. It was way better for tire wear. There was really no concerns. So And yeah, Saturday, it's you know, and of the-
1: props to Dunlop too, because there were no real concerns after the race on Saturday. Like they shortened that race mm-hmm. by four laps, um, because they were seeing unusual tire wear. And didn't hear one there wasn't anything bad. Like the the race could have gone twenty the first day. And that would have been great, but uh, but you know it's much better to err on the right side of that kind of situation. So that's what they did. And Road America will be interesting, great, because I hear the same thing. There wasn't a lot of grip. The tires were getting destroyed. They are having a car event there that hopefully will grind some of that surface away and and maybe get it to where they can run to different parts on the racetrack. Uh, so mm-hmm. and I know there's track days at Road America. I'll be up there doing the track days on Monday with Czar's um, Monday and Tuesday with Jessica Zaluski who. You know we you know <laughs> we used to race with back in the day. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting up to Wisconsin. I'm going to be there for like ten days.
0: So um, great part of the country beautiful. to be in for ten days. Absolutely
1: perfect. So, and
0: the weather leading up to it looks actually pretty brilliant. Does um, it? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Like se- kind of seventies type stuff. I've been keeping an eye on it for some reason. No, awesome. I have no idea why, that's but awesome. we'll see. You know, we're 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 Wednesday, so we'll get that ten day forecast and what happens in the weekend over the next couple of days. Well. Look, so that'll do it for our podcast. Uh, Thanks to Steve English for joining us. We certainly appreciate it and him giving us all his insight. And we'll be back next week. Jay, Pro Motocross starts. So... Starts
1: this week, I believe. It starts this week down at Powell. It starts this... Yeah, it starts
0: this week. So we'll kind of talk more about, you know, we'll touch on what's happening with Pro Motocross. And then we will talk preview uh, Road America because we're still a little ways away from getting GP and World Superbike rolling again. But we'll... uh, So that's what we're up to. That's what we'll do. Yep. All right. Long
1: podcast, everybody. Thanks so much for listening in and uh, enjoy Pro Motocross. Greg and I will be heading to Wisconsin. If you're a fan and you're there, make sure you come say hi because we're excited about that. But we'll have a podcast before that. We'll talk to everybody soon. Later.